He's always around. And uh, if this is your first time, I just want to say from the get-go, uh, you're welcome here. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, we do, we preach here at One Church in series. What we do is we'll talk about a life, or we'll talk about something, and then we'll talk all we got to say about that, and then we'll move on. And uh, we're in a series. How many of y'all have heard of this dude? Before, before the series, all right? Cool? All right, some of you. All right? Really, really neat guy. The first week... Luther talked about this idea that, that God told Elijah to hide himself away. And really the entire premise of the first, that first series is this. That before God can do something with you, he has to do something in you. And God told Elijah to pull away, to pull back, to go to a little brook by the name of Kareth. And this brook called Kareth, it literally means the place of cutting down or humbling. That before God can do something with you, you have to realize that without God, you are no one and you are nobody. And it was for about a year, year and a half, we see Elijah hanging out of this brook. And God is feeding him through ravens and all of this stuff, some really strange things. But he is just learning from God. And we're looking, and we saw that week, is that God was developing something into the man that he wanted him to be. Last week, we spoke about when the brook dried up, and that God told him to go to a little place called Zarephath. And we talked about what Zarephath means. Zarephath was the place of the crucible, the place of the furnace. And for some of you, you feel like you've been humble, and now you're kind of stuck in a furnace. And I felt that way as well. And Elijah felt that way. We looked last week that Elijah's ministry started really small. Started really small. You know, everybody wants the big stage and the big church and the big ministry. But before you can have the big, you have to be faithful with the small. And we looked at last week that we are to sweat the small stuff. You see, most people tell us you need to sweat the big stuff. It's the big decisions that's going to make your life. Let me tell you, we talked about this last week. The big decisions don't make it. It's every little small decision that you make will determine your destiny. We are to sweat the small stuff because small faithfulness always leads to big opportunities. And that's what we saw in Elijah's life. We saw him minister to two people for about a year and a half, two years. He ministered to a widow and to a widow's son. But yet he was faithful in the small. And we're going to see him thrust on the stage of thousands today. And today, what we're going to land is this. That above anything else in our lives, God wants to have all of our hearts. He wants to have all of our worship. All of our focus. All of our adoration. God wants to be number one in our life. That's what he wants. In fact, you think of it this way. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Jesus said it this way. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, if Satan, our enemy, really wants to get at God, he really wants to get at God, then I think what Satan does is this. Satan takes the heart of his people away from the one true God and, and turns them to serve false gods. Which is something Satan has been doing throughout all of history. Putting false gods in the place of the one true God. And that is called the sin of idolatry. Now I know some of you are like, whatever, right? Idolatry. I don't worship idols, right? Well, let me tell you. Write this down if you're taking notes. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise what only the true God provides. Give me an example. Here is a, a idol that many of us worship. And it's this. It's money. What does money promise? Well, money promises that if you have more of it, you will be what? Happy. Exactly right. Um, or if you have more of it, you will be secure. But that's what it promises, but doesn't really provide that. You think about this. See, you can have a lot of fun with some money. Somebody say, I agree. I agree. All right, some of you are like, I'd like to try that. <laughs> but think of it this. Yeah, you can do a lot of stuff with money. But what happens when you go to the doctor and they say, by the way, it's stage four. It's terminal. You have a couple of months to live. What good is that money then? Can that money save you? Can that money provide you with security? You see, at that point, you would trade it all for the cancer to be gone. Many times people say, if you have enough money, you'll be happy. But it doesn't matter how much money you have, if one day you lose your own child, it doesn't matter how much money you have at that moment. That's the end result. But let me tell you, there are some of us in here today, especially fathers, we spend so much time with our careers and trying to get more money that we will lose our children. Because at the end of the day, we've not spent any time with them. And at the end of your life, you're going to be dying alone in a bed and the kids don't come around. Why? Because you left them a long time ago. That money can become an idol. In the life of Elijah, many people were living idolatrous lives. They were worshiping and serving false God. Now, Elijah, remember his, what his name means? Elijah means that Yahweh is God. The Lord is God. Elijah called, excuse me, God called Elijah to confront a very evil king by the name of King Ahab, who was married to a really wicked and hot satanic woman called Jezebel. All right? And Ahab was the 19th consecutive evil king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he turned the hearts of the people away from the one true God to worship primarily two gods. Baal and Asherah. We talked about this last week. Baal was the fertility god. Baal was the one in charge of rain and sun. People considered him in charge of water and of fire. That it was his, by his hand, that all of the water came down and raised up the crops and fed the crops. It was his, because of his hand, that the sun came out. And he also had a girlfriend. Her name was Asherah. So they worshiped this man god Baal and this woman god Asherah. 
And the false gods promise, if you worship me, we'll make your crops grow. If you worship me, I'm going to send you rain. If you worship me, I'm going to send you sun. Remember, false gods always promise what only the true God can provide. And what Elijah does is he goes to King Ahab and says, here's what's happening. There's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. Put that in your book. And that's exactly what happens. And it, it, yes, it, it was really against Ahab, but it was really even more against Baal. Because Baal, they thought, was the God who provided the rain. And God was saying, don't you think he gives you rain? He's not going to give you rain for three and a half years. It has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with me. And that is where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, hang on. Buckle up. Because we're going to be all over this chapter. It's going to be good. 1 Kings 18, 1. Later on, in the third year of the drought. I put that in perspective. Chapter 17 took three, three and a half years. In the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him, I will soon send rain. And Elijah says, Okay, God. So he leaves the widow and the widow's son, Zarephath. And he travels all the way to Samaria. And there he meets Ahab. Verse 2. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab, the king. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. People were dying. There was no grass. There wasn't any crops. There was a famine because there wasn't any rain. And everybody was crying out to Baal and nobody was crying out to God. Verses 16 and 17. Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it's really you, you, what's that next word? Troublemaker of Israel. Ahab gets so angry when he sees Elijah, he starts calling names. In fact, the Hebrew word for troublemaker literally means snake, viper, or asp. Alright? You notice I put that P on there. The saying. He said, what, church? Alright? Just telling you. Alright? I mean, this would be a modern-day terrorist. He, that's what he calls Elijah. You are a terrorist. And he starts... He starts doing the blame game. Anybody ever blamed anybody? Let me tell you how you spell blame. Be lame. That's how it is. I mean, Ahab is blaming Elijah, but who's really to blame? Ahab is. Jezebel. And, and here we see Elijah confronting this very popular idea that there are many gods. Let me teach you some words here. In seminary, we got to learn a lot of cool words. The first of these two words, monotheism and polytheism. Some of you got, oh, I got that. I'm not going to ask you, but how many of y'all know? Okay, I got that. I know what that means. Right? Some of y'all, okay. Monotheism. Mono means one. Theism is in God. So it's the belief of one God. That's monotheistic. Alright? Now some of you, when I, hear, when I say the word mono, you thought, I think I had that in high school. It's never mono. Okay? Monotheism means the belief in one God. Now, polytheism is the belief in what? Many gods. Hey, you got it. Absolutely. All right? So, monotheism, the belief in one God. Polytheism, the belief in many gods. Let me tell you, it's us as Christians, we are what? We believe what? We believe we're monotheism. We believe in one God on Sunday. But we worship polytheism all during our week. 
You see, what we do is we talk to God and we cry to God and we sing with our hands lifted high, singing Alleluia in here. We're monotheistic. But money, we're polytheistic. We're like, man, I've got, I got to get this money. I mean, money makes the world go around, right? I mean, I've got, I've got to get this job. I, I've got to get her. I've got to get him. And we worship Many other different things. Man, I tell you what. I believe most people in here, we're not worshiping Baal or Asherah. We worship gods that are much more socially acceptable. We worship the God of material possessions. You know, our house, our car, our new car. Maybe for you, it's your image. Maybe it's a favorite sport. You're like, Chris, okay, we're good. But it is football Sunday. Seriously, you got to wrap this puppy up, right? I mean, maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's your career. You are so focused on getting advancement that you will not let anything stand in your way. For you, it may be a hobby. For others of you, it may even be your children. Let me just say this. Is there anything wrong with any of those things I mentioned? No. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with career. Nothing wrong with hobbies and sports and children. But let me tell you, when we elevate good things in the place of a God thing, they become bad things in our lives. They will. Because when we... It's this idea that we worship anything else other than God. Anything else other than God. We will, we will be left hollow and empty. So what false gods are you serving? Let me tell you. Here, let me give you some questions so you can go say, okay, I'm working. What do you spend your money on? Don't say that, don't say that, man. All right? I ain't too preach, you ain't got to confess it to me, all right? This is rhetorical, all right? What do you spend your money on? What do you think about a lot during the day? When you just naturally kind of drift off, what do you think? What do you do? What, what are you... If somebody said you have to stop blank, and you said, uh-huh, for some of you, it would be Candy Crush. <laughs> Let's be honest, let's tell the truth, shame the devil in here. Some of you, and I'm serious, some of you, Facebook is your God. You're whipping it out. See, some people, you got your phones out, everybody thinks you're reading the Bible. You ain't reading the Bible, you're tweeting about something. Right? And that's cool. We love, we love it when you have your phone done. That's cool. But it could be just your next status update. It, 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 what is the one thing that you cannot live without? What's the one thing that you will do anything and everything to get? Because let me tell you, I worship Baal. And so do you. Oh, I'm monotheistic in here. Live with our hands lifted high. And I can sing it. Y'all don't want me to, but I can sing it. Right? I'm waiting here for you on Sunday. But Monday, I'm chasing after everything else. And Tuesday, you're going to catch me chasing after him. And Wednesday, I'm chasing after her. And Thursday, I'm, I'm, i got to get mine. i got to get my pocket full of Benjamins. And on Thursday, i got to get my stuff so that I can go out on Friday. And we can just hang out on weekend party. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. All of us, we say we love God. Even if you don't go to church, you're like, okay, I believe in God. 98% of Americans believe in God. 
also believe 98% of Americans live their life as if God doesn't exist. Because we're monotheistic in here and polytheistic everywhere else. And Elijah says, enough is enough. It's time for a showdown. How many of y'all like cage matches? How many of y'all grew up? I was WWF, right? There was Hulk Hogan, right? There was Andre the Giant, right? There was a, a, a Roddy Roddy Piper. I love Macho Man Randy Savage. Anybody, am I talking to anybody's love language? And then we had these WrestleMania. What we get ready to see is WrestleMania. We get ready to see a, a televised UFC event. Look what it says in verse 19. This is Elijah's idea. He says this. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. Now, the first service they get this. Add those together. What you got? 850 people. First service, they were like, okay, let me take off my shoes. <laughs> 850. That's what we got there. 850 against who? If you were a betting person, who would you put your money on? I know I would put my money on. The 850. Alright? I would put my money on the majority. But look what happens here. This showdown that happens up on Mount Carmel. Let me show you some pictures of Mount Carmel. I've actually been there. It's 2,200 feet below, above sea level. Excuse me. Um, you can look out and you can see all around. In fact, this next picture, you can see all the way out to the Mediterranean. It's northern Israel. Why did we choose Mount Carmel? Well, this was one of the last places that was fertile there in Israel. It was still green there. And he says, get everybody together, meet me up on there, it's on, right? The main event, let's get ready to roll ball, right? This is it, right? So this is what we see in verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. This is it. National Sodom. Thousands are going to be there. This is like a televised UFC event. All the networks are going to be covering it. And Ahab, he realizes that the evil king had, this is my chance, to put Elijah in his place and to get him killed. I got this. So he gets all the 850 together against one. Thousands of people are gathered around and you hear people, get your hot dogs, hot dog. I mean, I mean it's, they got those foamy fingers, right? Not the one that Miley Cyrus had. It's like it's to be burnt, right? But they got the foamy fingers and, and all of them. Everybody has bailed. See, y'all, some of y'all are like, Pastor, you watch that? I watched it because y'all put it up on Facebook. Just saying. Alright? Alright? So everybody's got their foamy fingers that says Baal is number one. There's only one other one out there. God is number one. Elijah's more than that. I mean, the odds are against his favor. And in this moment, Elijah gets down to the heart of the matter. And he gives one of the most important speeches or pep talks in his entire life. Thousands are around him, and this is what he says in verse 21. Then Elijah stood in front of them, thousands, and he says, How much longer will you what? Waver. Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God... 
then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? The word waver literally means to dance, and it can be translated this way. How long will you dance between two lovers? How long will you keep this, this step up, this routine up, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth? And if you're a Christ follower, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you will come back to church every Sunday, and on Monday, you will go to the fourth, and you will do something crazy. And you're like, how, why did I do that? How, now, how do I know you do that? Because I do that. We all struggle, and we go back and forth and back. And we, we, we're dancing between two lovers. But let me tell you, you cannot serve God and anything else. You can't. Both of them will slip through your hands. Here's our big idea today. You cannot love God half-heartedly and expect to have a whole life. God can use you mightily if you prioritize God and you're not wavering. But it's all about priority. You cannot have, you cannot love God half-heartedly and expect to have a whole satisfied life. Again, is there any bell worshipers here? I'm raising my hand. Anybody else want to be honest? Because I've been there. I've got junk and I, I, I'll pour out my worship here and then I'll come back and I'll go, why, why did I do that? For you, it might be dating. Man, you cannot tell God you love Him and sleep around with other people and expect God to be okay with that. You can't. You can't. You're dancing between two lovers. You can't find your identity in people and expect to find your identity in God. You're dancing between two lovers. For others of you, it's a job. Man, it's your career. You want to be a success. You have parents that were failures, and you want to be a success. And you'll show up at church when it comes to giving or serving or getting involved in messing people's lives. You do south. You never seem to have enough money or time or energy for anything else. Why? Because it's leftovers. You're not prioritizing God. Others, it may be abusing a substance. Maybe it's prescription drugs. You know, being the pastor here at one church for six years and hanging out with the military community for six years, I have stopped being surprised at the amount of soldiers that are addicted to pain medication. Because they just need it so that they can cope. Let me tell you, my friend, God did not just call you to cope. He called you to live a victorious life. And for you, it's prescription drugs. Let me tell you, for some of you, your bail is poured. Man, it's that little box that's, that's bleeding you and your relationships dry. You're running through a computer screen for fulfillment and release and intimacy. So much that you, that you can't even be real with real people anymore. For, for many of us, it's all of this stuff. And Elijah is pleading with them. Stop wavering. This is the time to choose. I mean, and, and this is yeah, I mean, this is this is his brave part moment. You might have seen that movie Brave Heart. Very spiritual movie, I guess. I mean, in, the, in, the, in this part in this movie where everybody's wavering, and William Wallace comes out and he delivers a great speech. Watch this. You've come to play as three men. Three men you are. What will you 
So they're, they're, I mean, they're morning to noon. And again, people are going around, and I mean, thousands are there, but nothing is happening until lunchtime. And at lunchtime, Elijah's about had enough. Some of y'all, it's lunchtime, you've had enough, right? Don't say amen. Alright? This is what happens. He can't keep quiet anymore. So for the first time ever in the Bible, he starts smack talking. How many of y'all are smack talkers? Alright? Me and you. I will start smack talking. Absolutely. Now I ain't got nothing to back it up with. But I got a mouth. Look what happens. Look at what Elijah does. This holy man of God. Verse 27. About noontime, Elijah began... Mocking them. That some of y'all, y'all are getting ready to read a verse that's going to change your life. You're, you're going to read a verse that you're going to go, really, that's in there? You should totally read the Bible. <laughs> you got to shout louder, Elijah scoffed. For surely he's a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Maybe his hearing aids are kind of turned off. Or he is what? <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in church all my life. Then they had felt boards. And, you know, I never saw this in Sunday school. I gotta be honest with you. If I saw this in this Sunday school, all you have gotten all the boys together. Let me tell you, guys, it, it's us in here. You know what? We got a lot of differences between men and women. Let me tell you one of the biggest differences. Ladies, you like fragrances that smell good. Right? I mean, you light a candle, oh, this smells like vanilla cinnamon. <laughs> right? Or I've got some new potpourri, right? Oh, that's so good. Let me tell you what, guys. We got some gym shorts that's been in the back of our car for over a month. And during the summer, we open up the trunk and it's like, oh, Lord, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my gosh, those are awful. Billy, come here and smell these. These things are amazing. Smell that. Can you? Oh, my God. I think I just threw up a little. I know, right? You see, guys, we revel in nasty smells, right? You know that. If you're married to a guy, when he lets something, you know, when he poops or whatever, he's like, did you do that? And the guys are like, he said did. Right? I mean, maybe your God is relieving himself. Maybe he's on the pot. Or it's in the Bible. Some of you are you're being crude. It's in the Bible. Or maybe he's just away on a trip or he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. Man, I... Man, that's interesting. He starts trash talking. Verse 28. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they what? They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. A lot of different cults use this as an extreme last measure to worship. They're now offering their own blood. And at first, when we read that verse, it seems so absolutely crazy and foreign to us. Why would they do that? But isn't that exactly what you and I do so often when it comes to the false gods in our lives? But the thing that we have put our faith in other than God will always bleed us dry. The pornography that you're continually involved in isn't going to lead you towards greater intimacy. It will bleed you dry. It's this idea that you've put your faith in money. But let me tell you, money will always bleed you dry. Because the economy will go down. And you won't have a lot of money. And the retirement that you were saving for isn't around anymore. When you put your faith other than God, whatever, whatever you put your faith in will bleed you dry. And God's one of our biggest ones is our careers. We, we die. 
for the stars and the stripes on our chest. But at the end of the day, it's all Velcro. And they all come off. We take whatever you're putting your faith in other than God. Whatever it is, they will lead us. They will bleed us dry. They will leave us emptier. Just like the prophets of Baal were left empty and desperate and hopeless in the pool of our own symbolic blood with no reply, no voice, and no answer and no satisfaction. That's what what happens to us when we put our faith other than God. Verse 29. Elijah's had enough. They raved all afternoon until the time of evening sacrifice. Again, some of y'all are going, that's a long church service. Morning till evening. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. All right, it's Elijah's turn. Then Elijah, verse 30, called to the people. Come over here. They all crowded around him as he, what's that next word? Repaired the altar of the Lord had been torn down. He rebuilt it. He doesn't have to create it. He just needs to repair it. It's very important that it's evening because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this, in Israel, every night there would be an evening sacrifice that would go up to God there on Mount Carmel. It was part of the ritualistic worship that had not been done for over 50 years. So he takes time to repair it. Verse 31. He took the 12 stones, one to represent the, each of the tribes of Israel, and he uses stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And there on Mount Carmel, Elijah rebuilds the altar by himself. The 450, they have to do it all together. He does it by himself. And then he gets a bull and slices the bull up by himself. Don't you know that was no small feat? How many of y'all ever watched Rodeo? Come on now. I was talking, I think I saw on Heather Harder's Facebook page where her husband was bull riding. Dear Jesus, he's more of a man than I am. Right? Oh my gosh. Right? And he took one of those bulls and killed it by himself. Right? And put and put in places the bull up on the altar. That's no small feat. Verse 33. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour it. I'm sorry, go back to 32. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled the wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood, verse 33. Then he said, fill four large jars with water. Then pour the water over the offering in the wood. And after they had done this, he said, do it again. And when they were finished, he said, do it a third time. So they did it, as he said, and there was water that was running all over the altar and even filled the trench. By the way, it's a drought. They're having to go up and down the mountain, up and down, getting this water. Gallons of it. He digs a trench. I mean, he, he is setting the stage. I mean, if the odds aren't bad enough against him now, you know, just in case somebody gets one of those small flicks, coming around and goes, if, oh, look at God answered. No, no, no. He says, I want to make an impossible situation for God to do some possible things. It's like a Chris Angel trip. You know, watch that dude. This is what we're having here. That's what Elijah does. Now look at this, verse 36. At the usual time, I like that. The usual time for what? The usual time for the offerings, the sacrifice that had not been done in over 50 years. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and imagine this moment. What do you do when you're Elijah at this moment? I mean, you thought your job was full of pressure. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people were watching. His life is on the line. His God's reputation is on the line. What did you do? You see what you do. What Elijah, what made Elijah so special? 
We look at this and every week, James chapter 5, verses 16 to 17 says, Elijah was a man just like us, but when he prayed. What distinguishes people is when they talk to God and when they pray. And again, we've talked about this here in the past, but you don't have to talk to God as some King James broken and you go deep like, you know, Darth Vader's voice. You can talk to God just like you're talking to your best friend. And he will listen. There's no need to be, you know, afraid to pray or anything like that. Elijah, he just talks to God. And you know what? God listens. He will listen to you as well. Verse 36. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Everybody say and pray. Oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Prove today that you are God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command, O oh Lord. Answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you brought them back to yourself. Look at this. Do you see the focus of his prayer? First, it's not about himself. It's about God. Again, you put me in a stressful situation, you know what I'm going to be praying about? God, dear Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus, please help me. Some of you, how many of y'all are in school right now? This is your hand. Some of you, when you when you get a test, what do you do? <laughs> Dear Jesus, God, please help me with this test. Elijah didn't do that. His focus is not on him, but it's on God. And look at the purpose of the prayer. It's so that the people of God would turn their hearts back to him. Verse 38. Immediately, the fire of the Lord, immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up, look at this, the young bull, the wood, the stones, and even the dust. This is better than a HEPA filter. There is no dust anywhere. It even looked up the water in the trench. Why? Because God is God. God spoke, and everybody saw, verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell down, their face to the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. I, I, got, I got so much more I want to talk about, but I'm just going to end here. Because let me tell you what God is wanting to do in my life and in your life. He is wanting a brave heart moment. He is wanting one of these moments where you hear Unequivocally, that you and I must stop wavering. That we have to stop dancing between two lovers. That's what he's saying. What is your God this morning? I'm not talking the, the God that you're worshiping here. What is the God that you worship on Mondays? What is the God that you worship on Thursdays? Is it your comfort? I think for so many times, us as Americans, we're just so interested in our own comfort. And we will spend any amount of money to make ourselves comfort, comfortable. For many of us, it's image and acceptance. Or maybe it's a relationship. And you think, you know what? I would do anything to be able to have her or to have him. God is saying, listen, you either need to choose God or you need to do whatever that else is. I mean, think, he's saying today, okay? If your God is money and you're not going to choose the one true God, then you know what? You, take, you, you give your life to money. 
You go all out. You beg, you borrow, you steal, you devote your life to money. But stop wavering. Don't do this and this. For some of you, it's pleasure. You know what? If you want to go and you want to get drunk and you don't want God in your life, stop wavering. Just go and do it. Do it every night. I mean, go out and do the party scene and, and sleep with as many people as you can and drink as much as you can and do as much drugs as you can. But just stop wavering. Because here's what he's saying. I believe it's because we try to do God and something else. You know, if we just, even if it's cutting God out of our lives and we just did the party scene, we ran as far and as fast away from God as we could. I think we would come up more empty-handed quicker. And we would get to the end of our ropes faster. And we would be able to see, this is bleeding me dry. But we don't because we do this a little and we do this a lot. He's saying, stop dancing between two lovers. God is saying, you must choose Today is your choosing day. One of the best gifts God has given all of us is the ability to choose. And today, as you walk out of here, you will make a mental note. I'm going to choose God. Or I'm going to go out and do whatever the mess I want to do. But stop riding the ball warfare. Stop. Jesus said it this way. Stop being lukewarm. I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. We cannot serve God half-heartedly and expect a whole life. We can't. We're going to come up empty and dissatisfied every time. There's no band coming out to close us today. This is going to be an awkward closing, and it's intentional. Because I think all of us, we just need time. And we need to process, how am I going to do this? And as you leave, I want to just ask you two questions as you leave. Number one, what God's little g are you giving your heart and mind and finances and any and everything else to? What is it? That's the first question. Second question. How long are you going to wait? What is God going to have to do in your life and through your life to be able to capture your heart and to get your attention? I was talking to a friend uh, two weeks ago who, um, he was talking about a, a friendship that he made with a person who um, really didn't knew nothing about God and, and really didn't want anything about God in his life. But uh, he just got a prognosis um, not too long ago, and it was in that prognosis that he heard God loud and clear. I want your heart. And for no other reason than this disease coming into this person's life, God didn't cause it, but God would use anything and everything to be able to capture your heart. Because you know what? He is more concerned about your eternity than your comfort. He is. So as we close today in this uncomfortable way, I want you to ask yourself those two questions. What are you worshiping? 
And how much longer are you going to worship? Your God. I pray today, Lord, as we come and as we see this showdown on Mount Carmel, Lord, I know that right now there's a showdown in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives and in our bank accounts and in our passions and our desires and every motive and every inch of us. There is a showdown happening right now, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would choose. That we would choose. God, I do pray that we would choose you. And I know that's what you want. I pray that we have men and women and students and children who choose you over pleasure and things and finances and security and image. Lord, that we choose you. But Lord, even if we don't choose you, God, I pray that we would choose something. And whatever we choose, we would worship it. We would go all out. And Lord... As we learned, is when we worship things besides you, they bleed us dry. And I pray that's exactly what happens. That whatever we worship besides you, Lord, that we would come up emptier and hollower, and that we would run back to the one and true God. Because Yahweh is God. We love you.